You have reached Road Talk, Navigating Your Journey, a ministry and podcast of the Discover Young Adults Ministry at the Preston Crest Church of Christ in Dallas, Texas. We meet at 945 on Sunday mornings, and we have small groups all throughout the week. We are located at Preston Road and Highway 635 in North Dallas. My name is Jacob Hawk. I'm the Young Adults Minister and the host of this podcast. It doesn't matter if you are single, dating, if you want to be dating, if you're married, if you want to be married, or if you're divorced, or if you're trying to figure out at what stage of life you are passing through. At the Discover Young Adults Ministry, we want to help you discover life, discover love, and discover the Lord. If I can help you or serve you in any way, or if I can pray for you, please email me at jacob at pressandcrest.org. We are glad that you're joining us again today for Road Talk, Navigating Your Journey. My name is Jacob Hawk, the Young Adults Minister here at Preston Crest and the host of this podcast. It's been a while since we've uh, recorded an episode. My software went down a couple weeks ago and it took a while to get it fixed. And then I got married and I was uh, gone from Texas for a week. But I'm back now in the office and we are finishing up this series where I have taken some time to talk with each Preston Crest minister and today... Um, Gary Cohorn is with me, and we're going to hear a little bit about what Gary does here at Preston Crest and really all around the city of Dallas. So, Gary, we're glad that you're with us today. Thank you. Absolutely. Great to be here, Jacob. Before we go further, could not go any further without saying congratulations again on the wedding, you and Suzanne and family. It was an exciting time for you. Thank you very much. So, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and how long you've been at Preston Crest and all that good stuff. Sure. Well, so I guess 15 years, uh, I was uh, working with the A&M Church of Christ in College Station and uh, the Preston Crest Church, uh, some of the elders uh, reached out to me and uh, some of the staff at the time and called and asked me if I would be interested in coming here. And you know, my background really was was youth and family ministry and working with kids and families in those developmental stages and then some of the campus, you know, the, college, the Aggies for Christ there and, and uh, College mm-hmm. Station and and a lot with the with community and counseling mm-hmm. there. But anyway, so they, uh, Preston Crest asked me to come here to lead the singles ministries. And uh, it was really kind of unusual for me because it was, it was actually, it was the fourth church in a year and a half that had approached me about singles ministries. And that's not really been a part of my background formally, but, uh, but prayed about it, considered it. And what was intriguing mostly to me, other than respecting certainly Preston Crest and the church, and all this church does and has done historically and was doing currently. But the statistic that half of the American population, adult population, is single mm-hmm. uh, was intriguing to me. And so so that being thinking kind of in terms of ministry and mission and connection with community, I thought that had some real some real promise. So so prayed a lot and considered. And so after 18 years in College Station, came to Preston Crest and began that. But one of the things I did want to do and, and did do as a precursor to actually as a, as a kind of a well i really wanted the elders here to say that yes that they felt like it was a good plan to to to, to address the span the mm-hmm. lifespan 20s and 30s and 40s and 50s and 60s and pre-marriage and mm-hmm. post-marriage and all that that involves so so they said yes and we enthusiastically in fact and gary brantley has been the key key partner in all that through the years so so we've done that so it's been a great journey and uh uh i'm coming up on i guess next week or so 
hitting finishing the 14th year going into the 15th or maybe going into the, I forget but it's been been cool so 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 right now uh, of course you came and we as we as we continue to expand and encourage and empower uh, ministry and mission among those those ages uh, felt like it would be good to bring someone on to address the, the essentially the college to 35 and mm-hmm. as as you well know and so I'm doing 35 and beyond and plus some covered house with love we'll, we'll talk about here in a few minutes and then and then the counseling and and then the ministry of transition in people's lives so sure. so anyway those are a few of the areas so you're finishing up 14 years about to start year 15 i've heard year 15 they give you a set of steak knives so well i'm hopefully <laughs> hoping from the front and not in the back I'm, okay. I'm, uh, we'll see how that so goes you have that to look forward to <laughs> right, okay. right right so gary uh you know you work very hard and you do many different things here at Preston crest um and i wanted people to hear from you exactly all the many different things that you do and you were alluding to some of it but uh what are the many different hats that you wear here at Preston crest on a daily basis uh, well, so so I guess at the top of the list, really, again, is is engaging individuals and groups uh, to to there's a there's a model that I have just felt called to for years, and it's discipleship and ambassadorship. How you, how do you, on an individual basis, engage someone or in class circumstance or gr- small groups or in the community, uh, encourage and challenge an individual in their discipleship with Jesus Christ mm-hmm. and their ambassadorship, as Paul says in first Corinthians, second uh, Corinthians five, you know, ha- he calls us to a ministry of, of, uh, reaching out and, and connecting people with God. And so, so uh, at the top, I guess, uh, working with individuals and some of those fall into those areas that, that I are in my domain, I guess. And mm-hmm. some of those kind of just show up mm-hmm. whether they're with the church or they're with our, uh, with our community, but but engaging people in uh, in their discipleship, typically it's going to come in a more formal, conventional way on Sundays, Sunday classes, or church, or someone in the hallway, or mm-hmm. after after worship service. Say, Gary, do you have a minute? And uh, then those will be leveraged into ongoing one-to-one relationships or small group relationships. You know, for all these years, mm-hmm. I've taught the the young adult class. And that usually is, of course, the kind of springboard. And then on Wednesday nights, I teach our basically 40s to 60s class, 40s to 55 class called Single Purpose. But those, the content, the biblical content and the relationships, if I had to mm-hmm. say, boil everything down into what's most important to me, it's the, it's the relationships. Mm-hmm. Out of those relationships come a deeper involvement with where she or he is in their life. And that becomes... Uh, a relationship of encouragement where we meet regularly, or it's, an, it's a relationship of counseling, where, formal or informal. And so that takes on just a lot of different a lot of different uh, angles and dimensions. Absolutely. Well, you're a very busy man, and you bless <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of lives. And uh, one area that uh, people know you to be very passionate about is counseling. And so I kind of wanted to start with that. Mm-hmm. Where did you develop an interest in Christian counseling? Because you are a, uh, I guess, licensed professional counselor. So uh, when and where, what point in your life did you develop an interest in that? Sure. Now, I appreciate the question, Jacob. I, I guess I would say it would probably be difficult for me to not be interested in that because I have, I probably would start with my mother. She was, she may be one of the best listeners that I've ever known. And she 
both my parents are very blessed to have two good, solid Christian parents that love mm-hmm. each other and loved us. But uh, we we saw in both of them a lot of caring for people. They never really did that in a professional way. Uh, they were invested in other other things, but uh, but that always intrigued me, even in in early and I guess junior high, high school, formal or informally, it intrigued me. It was one of the considerations when I was looking to a future career, but uh, but I guess practically speaking, what I what I felt like was that everyone has something. Everyone has a challenge or a hurt or a pain or more more than one. Everyone carries something, and so uh, I absolutely have great respect for my friends that are in ministry circles that do pastoral counseling. That's a very important role. But what I wanted to do was to take it a little bit further and go. Uh, uh, my first degree was in biblical studies from ACU. My first graduate degree uh, was in biblical studies, but this, but I got went back later on to get a second one in clinical psychology, because I see most everyone is hurt or beaten up by something. It's obvious, or they carry it quietly. And uh, there are people close to me in my life and in my own life where trauma. Mm-hmm. of a variety of sorts has been significant. It, when I was in college, uh, I think I mentioned to you before, some of the uh, calling to the city was in the streets, and I saw lots of people who were dan- you know, experienced some kind of pain or, or gash or, or hurt. And so I thought, how, what can we do that will be helpful for someone to get out of those deep, penetrating gashes and bruises and trauma and upset, anxiety or so, so those spaces uh, led me there. And then again, in the more conventional, if there is such a thing as conventional, just people that walk up to the church, people that are in our pews, people that are leading churches. Mm-hmm. Again, everyone has something. So I wanted to, wanted to get the training in the background for that. Well, <clears throat> many of us are glad that you did. Um, and a lot of people come to you and uh, I like what you said about your mom. She was a good listener. I found that in you in the little bit of time I've known you. You are a very good listener and obviously care a lot about people. So uh, Preston Crest is blessed to have you here to do that, among other things. Um, one thing I've noticed uh, in my ministry and even in my own life is sometimes people, especially Christians, are hesitant uh, to seek counseling. So speaking from an LPC's perspective, why do you think people are hesitant to entertain that channel for help well i well first I, I agree with you very much jacob i think people i think we i'll include all, me maybe you but most of us human beings have a tendency to not really want to draw attention to whatever it is we don't do well and so if i'm contributing to a problem in this relationship or this marriage or this family or this whatever organization i'm, I'm not really as inclined to say hey the problem with us is me uh, two, I think often people see getting counseling, they, they have a concern, you know, the word stigma comes up over and over <clears throat> and in any places, the, the mental health addiction recovery co- community that, that I'm pretty invested in, or we're constantly trying to fight stigma because the thought is, uh, if I go to get help, someone might think that there's, that I'm crazy or that I'm weak, or I don't want to share my stuff. I don't want to share my family stuff. Uh, I, I work a lot with with in, in communities of people of color, and there's a particular uh, folks in the Caucasian communities are certainly that way. Those that are in African American, Hispanic communities, even more so, 
have a, a belief and a desire to just not really talk about their, their hurts and challenges because that's our business. No one else needs to know. But I think ultimately people just don't really want to acknowledge that, that I have a problem. I mm -hmm. want to kind of clean it up and fix it up and dress it up and keep moving on. So obviously, you know, like what you said, we're all dealing with something. We all have some kind of uh, baggage that we're carrying. Uh, sometimes people know about it. Sometimes they don't. And I think churches play a critical role to that end of helping people find help and get help and uh, improve. So, Gary, should churches prioritize counseling more than they do? And if they should, how, how do churches begin that process? Well, it probably is not a surprise to you that I might say that we should. Uh, I think that, uh, and what I would say is, and, and we do use phrases like we're here to help or we're, you know, uh, not uh, a hotel, we're a hospital or we want to be in the bus business of caring and sharing and, and, and helping. And we do. But I think one of the things that, that we could do probably better, I, I say that probably for Preston Crest, I say that more in term, terms of churches all around is to be more intentional about creating an environment of safety, creating an environment of where I can share with you, I can share with this particular group, this individual or group of people, I can find a church here where I can be the real me, I can open up with my real struggle, I can not just tell you that I sinned once or twice last week, but I can tell you about the addiction that I have. Or I can tell you that I'm not proud of my Saturday night as I come into Sunday morning. I worry that if I, if you really knew who I was, you would be, you'd find me to be the one imposter in the room while all the rest of you are clean and you know and, and spotless. Mm -hmm. So I think if we use our language to help people see that we all have, uh, we're on a journey of of being of, of the intentional process of transformation, you know, like Paul says in Romans 12, and but yet we're we're, we're very flawed. Mm -hmm. So, so in terms of the how, how do we go about that? I think if we overtly make those statements, use that language a little more that we, we all, all of us, every one of us have struggle and challenge, then we create uh, intentional spaces, whether it be in our, our Bible class groups or Bible classes or small groups, maybe a little more confessional tone, possibly mm -hmm. uh, set that tone. And that's when I mean, we have autonomous Bible classes and small groups, but if we but if we were intentional about that, and some of them I think are, then we would be better. I think that uh, to have you know that we host a lot of community groups, and many of those are uh, our mental health and support uh, and recovery groups. I think if we if we can create spaces where those either we run those or we have people who do those well, and we create the space for those, I think that's useful. But anything that we can do to help encourage people to get the help that they need, uh, I think is useful. And by the way, one, one little uh, caveat that I mentioned is that uh, we, we spend a good bit of time either serving in a counseling role, helping role here, uh, or finding people, finding help for people with good resources here in our community, in our city. And so I think that's one good next step for us if we don't serve or provide that the best resource, the best help here on site, then we can be very responsible and helpful in in, in referral, finding good people mm -hmm. for our folks to get the help they need. Gary, would you agree that um, creating these environments of 
open confession and transparency is much more of an organic effort than a planned effort. In other words, you create a culture where it just happens versus taking specific times on purpose for it to happen. Here's the reason why I ask. I'm thinking back to um, when I was in high school and going to summer camp one summer, uh, Christian camp, and you know, you were a youth minister, you know how uh, summer camps work and youth ministry, and you get down toward the end of the week, and everybody's on this high, and people start opening up about things they've been struggling with in their life. And I specifically remember, I was a sophomore in high school, the last night of camp, our camp counselor saying, all right, we're going to go around the room as a cabin, and everyone's going to confess something that isn't good in their life. And uh, I had no problem with doing that, but also at the same time, it was like, is this the most natural way to do this uh, and that's one thing i have concern about sometimes is if we're forcing people to confess versus have we just created a culture where they are inclined to do so on their own does that make sense it does yeah and i that those times made me nervous too uh, as youth minister and, and and leading and coordinating some camps we would see in fact that kind of became the culture of some camps and although there's some good that can come out of that often we're not prepared mm-hmm. for what that what comes out of those developments. Uh, so, so I would not be as big of a fan of in that context in the in the camp setting. If you're going to encourage that, you need to be ready to do something with that. And so what we would do on those camps is to be ready to help youth ministers and parents and others back home to be aware of such things. But that right. became a monumental task. With churches, though, what I think we can do <clears throat> Again, and I think the, the, the Christ that I know who said, come to me, all that you are weak and heavy laden. And he created, a, again, uh-huh. once again, a culture of confessional experience with this family called church. When we create a culture where we say, this is the best place for you to find help and healing. This mm-hmm. is the best place where you can find Christ-like compassion and love and, and help for some of those mm-hmm. next steps or whatever that would be. But, I, but I, I do caution that often we don't be as intentional about creating those safe spaces. Mm-hmm. Sometimes people will share things that are really, they may be encouraged or even coaxed to go to a place where they didn't think they were going to go. And if it's not handled well, mm-hmm. if, it's, if, if their hurt is not respected, if sin is not handled in such a way where they can have compassion, but also you know help them with some next step, then they regret having done it. Sure. And, and understandably so. Sure. It's uh, becomes more harmful. Okay, so let's take a shift here, yeah. um, and it kind of relates to counseling because it's such a natural progression of gifts and skills which you possess. But um, you're also very involved in uh, bringing reconciliation and unity to the city of Dallas through several efforts. So uh, you've been here, I guess, as you said, 14 years. Starting your 15th year, you were in College Station for a little while. You grew up in Oklahoma City. Uh, but when did you develop a passion to really help unite and restore DFW? Well, uh, a big question, uh, and, uh, and my, my, to synthesize it, I would say D- Dallas-Fort Worth, particularly Dallas and in College Station before and some other cities, I, w- I would argue that my, my awareness of the need was uh, raised when I was in college and, and the very long story, very short, is that when I was at Oklahoma Christian undergraduate school uh, in studying Bible, I was uh, 
Also, my brother and I worked with the state paper, Oklahoma Publishing Company, hmm. or OPUBCO. We drove trucks for the state paper, and so they had two different papers. One was in the morning, the Daily Oklahoma, and one was in the afternoon, the Oklahoma Journal. And so those two papers were needed someone to go take the big bundles of papers mm -hmm. out to the district managers and the carriers, either one to five in the morning or one to five in the afternoon. And we did some of both of those. And then on the weekends, it was a you know, well into the morning. But the point is that we would take these bundles off the chutes in the downtown Oklahoma City and drive them out to various parts of the city where I was always told by my good Christian parents, never go. Mm -hmm. Don't go to these places. They're dangerous. They're bad things happen. A lot of crime, a lot of ugly stuff happens. So stay away, which I, I respect. But having said that, I went when I did and I drove these trucks, to these various places, and I was studying as a minister. So I was thinking about biblical things. I was thinking about how to reach people and connect with people. And I see the person in the street who's seems to be going nowhere. Uh, see someone who is obviously not in a good place out under a bridge. I see someone who's walking or to with two or three friends or lonely or sleeping on the curb somewhere. I saw uh, homeless folks and I saw people who were apparently runaways or those who are addicted or those that were lost in some way. I thought, who are these people, women who are prostituting? Uh, I thought, what, what, how did this lady get here? How did this guy mm -hmm. get here? And some of those people were actually working as those drivers. So those relationships, as I continued to encounter these folks, I began to stop and visit with them, or they would stop me, or we would be hanging out. And as I heard their stories, what I started to recognize was that, uh, and I, and I, in my mind, I thought, who, who are they? Does anyone know who they are? Does anyone care where they are? And do they have some kind of connection to God? And so, and as I continued to study as a ministry student at Oklahoma Christian, and then there graduated, went off to Abilene, and then did more study, biblical study uh, there, and I worked with a treatment center. I started encountering people, these two tracks, that were, I mean, they're not two clean tracks, they merged, but this, this, this training and teaching and preparing to become a minister in a church, and also seeing someone that didn't just become the homeless guy, it was Barry. And he told me his story. Barry worked on the dock with us. <clears throat> Barry went out to go then sleep in a car that he called home. He jumped on his bike in a 10 below zero night on Christmas morning to ride his bike back to his car to go down to the Jesus house to get, to get food. Uh, for the day while I went back to my family, my good family, to have two or three rounds of food, tons of presents under the tree. And the question I asked Jacob for me was, how did I get here and how did Barry get there? When I was in college, when I was at Abilene, uh, worked in the Wood, Wood Psychiatric Institute, and I saw kids who were coming from homes where dad killed himself or they were addicted to something or they were hurt or bruised by something. I went to some nursing homes. I went to a, one part of town where there was a bar in a predominantly black and Hispanic neighborhood. And I walked down the street, not looking like anyone in the neighborhood, mm -hmm. went on the parking lot, engaging them and asking questions and meeting people and developing friendships. And I thought, how, when I read scripture, and particularly when I read G uh, Jesus's prayer in John chapter 17, when he said, I pray that you and I, Father, will be one and they'll be one with us. I, I, and I read through the life of Jesus, how he was constantly drawn 
to the poor. He was constantly drawn to the people that were hurt. He was constantly drawn and hanging out with people that would not really, that were, you know, had tattered mm -hmm. reputations. So I thought, <clears throat> but particularly it's haunted me, this, this prayer that Jesus had in, in John chapter 17, when he was trying to reconcile everyone together. And then, and then, and then Paul says, we have the ministry of reconciliation. So all that said, I thought, how can I just turn my back on Barry or on Denise or on my friends through the years? So I've never really not been involved since since the early 80s in a ministry, in these converging ministries. And quite frankly, what I've really been called to, through, through some key people, one of them was the, was the, the teaching of Tony Campalo, Dr. Tony Campalo mm -hmm. up in at Eastern University. Uh, was the call of God to serve folks in those spaces, then how can, how can we empower and teach young people, young adults, not so young adults, to find their mission or ministry, maybe in the church, but maybe in some capacity outside of the church, maybe serving a particular group that they're drawn to because of their own personal experience. Maybe someone is autistic. Maybe someone has been raped. Maybe someone is is in a, a circumstance where they have no money and they're trying to find a way. I believe that God calls the kingdom today non-negotiably to that mission of loving him and loving them and drawing them to him. Mm -hmm. And his mission only, will only be done when the last person is with him. So, so uh, I, I think it's just non-negotiably a God call. That's well, well said. Yeah. Very, yeah, makes great sense. Yeah. And, Really appreciate your story and the story of Barry and yeah. delivering papers in yeah. Oklahoma City. <laughs> I didn't know that about you. Yeah. Uh, so to that end, restoring Uniting Dallas, um, I guess one ministry that you're very involved with is Cover Dallas with Love. Tell us a little bit about that and kind of some big lessons you've learned from yeah. your experiences with Cover Dallas with Love. Yeah, thank you. So, so when I came here and we began the singles ministries here, one of the things that before I came, actually, I reached out to some people in the city and some mm -hmm. pre-existing relationships with folks uh, for 40 years or so here. Um, I uh, what I just felt called to do on a personal level, but also in a way to encourage and challenge people at Preston Crest is to is to step into spaces in Dallas <clears throat> to build relationships with individuals and with groups. Uh, churches, nonprofits, uh, organizations, uh, homeless people that were people that run companies and have more money than they, they could ever have, mm -hmm. and people that have absolutely no money and are not really particularly responsible, for, very responsible for handling money. They just don't do it well. Bringing them all together and engaging them, introducing our parts of our church, certainly our young adults at the time and our 40s, 50s, and some others, to to connect with strategic neighborhoods in the city, uh, to serve there, to build those friendships and to love them with a Christ-like love with, uh, you know, again, it's the very much the, the uh, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, uh, be salt and light and mm -hmm. uh, city on a hill, all those metaphors that say be out in the city to, to love and serve. So anyway, on a very simple level, I was out on the parking lot of the DART station on Forest and 75, meeting with people, connecting with them off the DART station, uh, helping with them with some things. I came, <clears throat> went to various places in the city, would come back to church, would, would get some of our groups to go and be a part of responding to some needs, 
But on one particular uh, Christmas, uh, I guess it was 2007, I came here. I drove home. It was a particularly cold night. Drove to the house, to my house, and uh, my driveway's in the back, garage is in the back. So rolled the garage door up. I saw some coats and blankets sitting on some boxes in my garage. And I was seeing some people on the streets that had nothing. It was brutal out there. I thought, I don't think that the boxes in my garage need to be covered. And these people do. And so the next day I took mm. those, jumped through them in the in my truck, and I brought them to Preston Crest. And on that Sunday morning, uh, and challenged the church, told them that story, and challenged the church. Uh, oh, prayed about I guess it was oh, prayed about that. The name kind of developed just kind of organically out of that experience to cover Dallas with love. Now, it was coats and blankets at the time, but it was never intended to be a coat and blanket drive. It was intended to encourage and challenge our church, everyone in our church, but it started with our single, our young adults, and then our, our single purpose groups and three different groups to bring coats and blankets to the church. And then we would get out in the city and take them to various places. But then I turned that and asked the church to put those coats and blankets that they see in these bins in their trunk or in their back seat. And when they see someone in the streets or if they know someone of our schools, then to provide those as a Christ way, as a Christian way to love and care for our community. I remember Cindy Franklin, uh, who was leading our, our, our facilitator for our divorce care ministry at the time. Her son, Cameron, who's now back with us, uh, but Cameron was in high school at J.J. Pierce. And they were, uh, at one point, there were some students at Pierce who were, were needing clothes and some, some coats in a very brutal cold season. Well, she shared, he shared that with his mom and Cindy shared that with me. We worked together with our divorce care. And so then Cameron and Cindy took some of those coats there and it became an extension of love to that school mm. for, for, that, for, that, uh, for that time. But we would do that at Hamilton Park, yeah. uh, key, a key space there and, and uh, on Forest and 75. Uh, in a lot of context in Hamilton Park, we engaged and built again the focus and the word is friendship friendship relationship friendship relationship and so when we would have these friendships these relationships and people would share their needs we weren't doing service projects we were caring for our friends in the city and then they would use some of our materials and they would leverage and care for others there was a apartment that burned down and the woman that led and coordinated the willie b johnson recreation center in Hamilton Park said her whole apartment complex burned down. They were needing lots of things. Well, we had supplies. She said, Gary, can you and your church bring some? So it wasn't, again, showing up for a service project. It was the extension of an ongoing Cover with Dallas, Cover Dallas with Love ministry. So it's taken on sure. uh, a very intentional, systematic network that uh, I, I'm hoping, I believe, has blessed the community and it's also blessed our church. It's an amazing story. Amazing story. Um, so Preston Crest, and much to your credit, Preston Crest has been very instrumental and intentional about um, doing good things for the city of Dallas. If someone's listening to this today from a different city somewhere in the country, um, how can churches do a better job of making their city, whether it be Dallas or any other city, a better place? Yeah. I know this is going to sound trite, but I think any Christian knows that this is that this is the core. First, you, you pray, you, you pray. God, how can show us doors? How can we love our city? 
show us doors and opportunities to serve and love. But the second thing, again, is to show up to different places. I encourage people to show up to different individuals of the church. It doesn't have to be a staff member, a ministry, a minister, or whatever. It can be anybody. But I think to, to be organized, you have to have some sense of connection with the ministry staff, the elders, whoever. But to show up at different places in the city where you see potential needs, look online, look in the paper. Paper used to be something we read. Uh, but but look here and listen to the news and you'll see opportunity or needs or just around your particular space, you will see communities that are that have particular needs. Show up, introduce yourself. Those become relationships and friendships. And you and I encourage you to to get to know the director of the place, the custodian of the place, and the city councilman of, of the particular community and the mayor and anyone the sc- schools, nursing homes, uh, all that. Once you begin to build those relationships, then and you engage with them, you, you you spend the time with them, you get to you share, you eat dinner with them, uh, you you take them to lunch, then you'll hear the needs that will develop, mm-hmm. and then those needs develop how your particular church would be would would form at least one facet of your ministry to serve the city. And one of the key pieces that we're non-negotiable about is that it's all really in the name of Jesus. Mm-hmm. They don't necessarily have to become members of our church. They don't even necessarily have to say, okay, I'm going to start following Jesus. But we but we let them know the reason we're there to care and serve for them, with them, and also learn from them. But our the the DNA, our purpose and our, our identity is in, is in Jesus Christ. And so the folks that work with us, uh, our friends in, the, in Dallas, very much aware of that. I really appreciate that last part because there's no shortage of organizations, particularly in a city the size of Dallas, Fort Worth, that do good things. But I think I agree with you. A non-negotiable kingdom mm-hmm. prerogative is to do it distinctly in the name of Christ. And so, but one cool, Jacob, I can say one cool yeah. part that develops from that is that when what tends to happen is when you have those that activity, that dynamic going on. You begin, they start asking you God, what I call God talks, God mm-hmm. questions, God conversations, and mm-hmm. they come up in a number of different ways. Some just a person's observation. And by the way, I learn a lot about God through my friends in the city because mm-hmm. many of them, we presume that they don't have the relationship that we do. Right. Often I'm the, the learner and they're more the teacher. But those in the process of painting a house or in the process of coming along in the tornado damaged backyard when we're cleaning up and someone's in a whole neighborhood that we pray together. We yeah. talk about God and they, they hear in us this and, and then they start asking about our church and some of them are now frequent visitors to our place. So right. Right. That's not our that's not our stated intention, but it but it's 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 kind of a hope. Yeah, absolutely. So we got a couple more questions sure. here, Gary. Uh first what what's your favorite thing about your job? You you do so many different things from Counseling, working with older singles to, uh, you know, work within the city and uh, Dallas dinner table, I'm, all kinds of things. What, what's your favorite thing about your job here at Preston Crest? Yeah, well, for me, it's, I mean, it's really summed up by people. This The word people, what, what I, it's relationship. What I, what I would say, Jacob, is that I, when I came here in 2006 and engaged some of the folks that I met for the first time that were in their 20-somethings, they are in different stages and phases of their life. We're mm-hmm. still connected, mm-hmm. and those that are in the, that have come along since then, and they're uh, that are now thirties and forties and married and whatever. 
to to be in our Kingdom Seekers mm-hmm. class of this past eight weeks and sharing with them who are now fairly newly married. One of, some of them have babies and some don't. To watch them feed this church is cool, but to watch them take on their 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 dimensions of ministry and mission is that's my paycheck. It's mm-hmm. nice to get a paycheck for the church. That one is what really uh, moves me. In fact, uh, they become some of them become a, a quasi family, and mm-hmm. so to watch. And I get kind of emotional about this one, but to watch them, and some of those are people. A, a large number of those are Preston Crest, but to watch people in their transitions, to see them get a, something about God, something about themselves, uh, take on a new challenge. Uh, overcome or become a little bit farther in the recovery. One of my friends is is leading his family, and he is part of this church, and he has been in recovery. One of our partners, we helped him get connected to one of our, our partners in the city, and he went into recovery. He's back. He's working. Uh, he's he's he he wants to take on some new developments and challenges in his mission and ministry and life, but really to watch the growth. And that's really the fourth prong of the, the ministries that I do, the you know the single adults and then the, the uh, cover Dallas and the counseling. But this transitions, how, helping people in this transitions in their journey of living life uh, with purpose, and ultimately for with Jesus Christ is is that's my that's my that's my number one by far favorite thing about what I do. That's well said, and I can see it on your face. People can't yeah. watch this, but <laughs> I'm watching you talk about it. That and that's. Uh... That's very evident. So last question, you've been here for uh, going on 15 years. What's your hope for Preston Crest in the next 10 years? What What do you want for this church more than anything else? Uh, I would, I deeply, of course, the, the obvious are, are, are there. I mean, we're Christ-loving, Christ-honoring church that continues to be biblically based and all those things. I mean, I think we all want, but what I would love to see is for us to continue to be very intentional about reaching and caring for those that come here to seek a new space in life, but to help to be intentional about uh, reaching those that are in our city, helping our people to reach those in our city, but helping to connect those in our city, quite frankly, that that look different than us Mm -hmm. or that sound someone that, that may have a different perspective in life. Someone that's not necessarily right now, the, the issues of race certainly are getting attention and, we're pretty invested, highly invested there, in fact. But if it's someone who's had a different faith experience or they have a different worldview, can we be intentional and loving? And can we be a play? I think we are, but I think we have much room to grow to continue to become a church that connects with the person in the city, in the streets, in government, in all parts of our community in a way to to uh, understand, honor, appreciate, respect, validate their experiences, whether or not they're like mine, and then grow in a way where where we grow together toward the God of, of Scripture. So mm-hmm. that would be, I have no clue how that's going to look. That would not be up to me. I don't, I'm not wise enough, would never claim to be wise enough to see how that would play out. But I do believe that the church of 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 the, the church of scripture god's movement for today uh didn't stop in the book of acts i think mm-hmm. it continues today 
as we engage the city to, to love our God and, and, and to love those around us. Well said, Gary. Well said. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Gary. Yeah. And uh, appreciate all that you do, not only for Pressing Crest and the kingdom, but for the city of Dallas. Uh, Dallas is a good city, and uh, you make it a better place. Well, so Thank you for inviting me in. And to do it. for those who have listened today, we are glad that you've been with us. And as always, we want to encourage you to uh, keep your eyes on heaven. And here at Road Talk, we want to help you navigate your journey any way that we can. Uh, God bless, and we will talk to you next time.